You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to a more somber edition of the Out of Sight podcast on the Liberty Ballers Network. I am your host, Dio Royster. Still chill ride, still chill vibes. But like I said, it's a little somber. Had to have a little whiskey last night because today was the end of the Brett Brown era in Philadelphia. Seven seasons. Love you, coach. Wish you nothing but the best. Last week on Liberty Ballers, and this was kind of a really timely piece, given the fact that the Sixers got swept out of the first round of the NBA playoffs in the bubble by the Boston Celtics. As depressing as that is, it's even more depressing that we get no more Matisse, Thibel from the bubble videos, which I'm really kind of disappointed about. But Harrison Grimm wrote an article entitled, How Did the Sixers Get Here?, And I think it's really poignant to discuss how they got here and where do we go from here, kind of. So I got Harrison on the line and we're just going to we're just going to roll with this. Harrison, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. I I hope you're doing well uh, with with uh, the the grim bad news that's partaken today. Um, I appreciate you having me on. I'm excited to talk about Sixers and ultimately talk about some sad stuff <laughs> now when you say sad stuff are you are you all as well talking about no more matisse from the bubble videos or are you talking specifically about brett brown or both it could be both uh i, I think it's a bit of both um i'm gonna miss having brett brown around the team because you know you, you can talk about him all you want as a coach but when you're talking about the human being brett brown is he's just a wonderful guy um, and, and he's very good uh, just to make content of like we've seen the, the bell ringing videos, you know, we've fallen in love with that. Uh, but I am going to miss the Matisse uh, bubble videos because, you know, some other players have made those kinds of vlogs, but it hasn't quite been the same as Matisse. And maybe that's me being biased, uh, you know, just for the Sixers. But I'm definitely going to miss a, a bit of both. I mean, it's, it's totally fine to be biased. Like th- those videos were awesome. And I'm just saying. No other NBA player from the bubble doing any kind of those vlogs were on Jimmy Fallon, okay? I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> um, I want to start this discussion of your piece with a little something that Mike Greenberg said on Get Up this morning. Mike Greenberg uh, at ESPN Greeny on Twitter, part of the uh, Get Up Morning Show. Uh, he had this to say about the process and... Um, what happened to the Sixers in the first round. So I'm going to play this real quick. Now, what we saw yesterday as the Philadelphia 76ers were swept out of the playoffs by their arch rivals was indeed the end of this era of Sixers basketball. There's only one reasonable conclusion to draw. The process was a disaster. There were so many reasons. I'd love to tell you the strategy itself didn't work, that tanking is a bad idea, and boy, did they ever tank. Over a three-year stretch, they went 47 and 199. They lost 25 consecutive games twice, so they humiliated themselves, and for what? See, that's where it really went wrong. The strategy wasn't their biggest problem. It was the execution. They took Jalil Okafor, number three, in 2015, one spot ahead of Kristaps Porzingis. They traded two number ones to Boston to draft Markel Fultz, who had more DNPs than he did made field goals as a sixer. Meanwhile, the Celtics used that trade to draft Jason Tatum two spots after Fultz. Tatum scored 108 points this week in sweeping Philly out of the playoffs. But Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are what remain of the process. Together, they've won 10 playoff games and missed 383 games, which is a shame, really, because no one could argue they were bad picks. They're both all-star caliber players. But between Embiid's health and Simmons' offensive limitations, 
It seems they may have gone about as far as they're ever going to. So maybe that's it. Maybe it's over. And if so, the moral of the story is this. The process was designed to revolutionize the sport. Instead, it became a cautionary tale that hopefully will keep any team from ever trying it again. Okay, so that was Mike Greenberg. And like, Harris, what's your initial reaction to hearing that? Hearing that, uh, it's a bit frustrating. It's definitely a national media kind of take, which means, you know, you got these guys that are watching a few Sixers games here and there um, and in the postseason. And, you know, they just don't have large sample sizes to go off of uh, to make educated takes on this. And, you know, he went in depth about um, drafting Julie Loca for, which was a Sam Hinkie move under Jerry Colangelo. Correct. Uh, probably – Sam Hinkie's one of one of his lesser uh, good moves, but all the other moves after that were, you know, not made by Hinkie. The majority of those were either uh, Colangelo or Elton Brand. Now, I've discussed this at nauseum, either on Twitter or with just friends and family. And let's be let's be totally honest. If Jerry Colangelo is not there when that draft takes place, there's no doubt in my mind that Hinkie by himself, if he had control, would have taken Porzingis. Yeah, I, I definitely think that there, there's a real argument for that. Um, I've also seen things where he was a bit interested in Mario Hazonia. So, you know, it, it is very possible that Sam Hinkie would have opted for a, a different type of player in that situation, especially being a huge analytics guy, you know, and Julio Okafor, uh the majority of his game was, was post-ups and that was a, a dying thing at the time. So I do think um, there is a real argument for that. I do think he could have looked at someone like a uh, Porzingis or even a Hazonia um, in that situation. So the first two parts of your piece, I'm going to kind of combine those two, the Sixers hiring Jerry Colangelo and then Hinky stepping down as the Sixers GM. That was kind of the first real big domino effect because it was a signal of, okay, this quote-unquote process thing, like that, that needs to be over and we need to really start this thing. Even after all that, they still had a treasure trove of stuff to draft with, to trade with, stuff like that. There was, like, there was a straight pirate's booty of, and I, I hate to say it this way because even Hinky doesn't like to say it this way. They had so many assets. And I hate to even say it that way because, like I said, Hinky himself didn't even really want to put it that way. What was your initial reaction when Brian Colangelo was hired back in April? You know, at the time, um, I was a lot less educated than I am now when it came to the Sixers and the whole process. So in, in my mind, I kind of saw, like, this GM uh, being, being uh, let out of this team where he – led them into this this pit where they were just building for the future and they were collecting assets. And at times it did feel like they weren't making progress. And, you know, we look back on it now and we say, well, it is only three seasons. And, and now we have Simmons and Embiid. So were those seasons of tanking worth it? Definitely. But in the moment, it really felt a lot longer than that. Um, so it was an interesting move back then. Um, I didn't know much about Colangelo. I just knew he was a former um, executive of the year. He was the guy that drafted both DeMar DeRozan and Andrea Bargnani. So his track record wasn't that good. The only Dra drafted thing... Bargnani number one, by the way, that that's a oh, very yeah. important, that's a very important caveat for that pick. <laughs> oh yeah. And at, at the time I didn't realize what, what the Sixers were really getting into when it came to Brian Colangelo. Um, I will say that at the time, I found it very hilarious how the Sixers were like, we're interviewing a ton of prospects for this job. And they ultimately came down to choosing Jerry Colangelo's son within a few days. And it definitely felt very fake. It likely was very fake. Um, and obviously Colangelo led them down a really not good path that may set them back a few years and cost them a real championship run with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. But we'll get into that. Um, yeah, looking back on it now, it was definitely the first big domino to fall um, and set the Sixers back. The 2016 draft, the Ben Simmons draft, 
I kind of have to grade Colangelo's draft on a curve because let's face it, you have the number one pick. Ben Simmons is the consensus number one. There's really no way to screw that up unless they take Brandon Ingram, which, and again, I have to, I have to restress this. I am a, I, at the time I was a Brandon Ingram guy. I was team Brandon Ingram. I've said that I've admitted to that. Now I freely admit that I was wrong. Like Brandon Ingram's great, but I, I really love the, the Ben Simmons pick, but the, the stuff after that TLC at 24 and then Korkmaz at 26. They, they were okay. And Korkmaz has become what he's become, but TLC didn't really amount to anything. And you point this out in your column. Both of those guys were drafted right before fellow Cameroonian Pascal Siakam and Deontay Murray. Like I, I that's to me that grades as maybe a D minus close to an F. When it comes to that draft, you really have to take it with a grain of salt because, yes, he drafted salt. Oh, definitely. You, you're drafting number one, and that draft, you know, it was it was two guys, but most people were, were Team Ben Simmons for that number one overall pick. So it was really hard to screw it up. Um, so <laughs> Ben Simmons basically fell into Colangelo's lap uh, with what, what Hinky – did that season in terms of, you know, the assets and having the worst record. So it was really Hinky's doing in the long term of things. But yeah, when you get uh, towards the end of that draft, um, it, it really does fall apart in terms of like, if, you, if you're going to grade it, because TLC, he showed some flashes at the end of his rookie year. Uh, his second year was incredibly disappointed and he bounced around a little bit. He was out of the league. Um, and now he's showing some flashes with the Nets, but he never really became anything with the Sixers. And Firkin, it took him a little bit, but this season we've, we've seen that he's a capable shooter off the bench. So, you know, that's a plus. But what really hurts is, is those two guys that, you know, you mentioned, Pascal Siakam and DeJounte Murray. And I remember seeing a tweet from a former Sixers um, staff member. I believe it was Doc Parison, who I know is a Sixers Twitter's favorite who said that they didn't take him because he was um, – the Sixers wanted to draft and stash him, and ultimately Siakam and his camp didn't want that, so mm. they didn't take him, which is crazy to think about. Um, but but even DeJounte Murray, you know, at that time the Sixers needed a point guard. Um, and they didn't take him, I guess, just due to the lack of shooting. He wasn't the best shooter, and he still isn't the best shooter – but in his, I believe it was his second or third year, he already developed into an all-defensive uh, guard in the league. And, you know, it's just really unfortunate that with neither one of those picks, they took a gamble on either one of those guys. And, you know, in the long term of things, both those players are going to be better than both TLC and Furkin. I do kind of see some rationale to not taking Murray because they already had S- Simmons in their backcourt who isn't who still hasn't become the kind of shooter that people beg him to be but with somebody like murray like that's definitely somebody that you can bring in off the bench in the second team so i i yeah so that rationale kind of goes out the window now yeah yeah it really does and even if you look a few picks later in that draft i believe it was like pick 36 um, the, the eventual rookie of the year for that year, Malcolm Brogdon, was taken. Um, and the reason he wasn't taken farther was just because he was a really older player just coming out of college. Um, and some people didn't believe in his ceiling. But e- even he would have been a great pick in that, in that area. Great defender, great shooter. And he was only taken a few picks after both TLC and Firkin. So Colangelo's first free agency. Not a whole lot of, you know – flashy names or anything like that depending on how you feel about you know gerald henderson if if you're gerald henderson stand first i don't know what the heck to do with you um but the the jeremy grant trade hindsight being 2020 obviously maybe they gave up on him a little too quick 
because you know everybody because you know everybody in the national media including you know guys like howard eskin and people of that nature like they love the illy silver trade but like did they did they sell a little early on jeremy grant oh they definitely did and it was another uh example of many in colangelo's era where he took the short-sighted view over the long-sighted view when it came to jeremy grant and i remember at the time the sixers really kind of viewed him more as a small forward uh, with, a, with a still developing shot. He wasn't a shooter that he is today at that point. And ultimately, he did turn into more of a, a power forward of a stretch forward now that we see him uh, both with OKC and Denver, where he's a really good player. And I think the belief back then was that Grant and Simmons couldn't thrive together. Um, but what makes that move so questionable for me was at the time, we knew that Ben's foot was broken and we didn't know he wasn't going to play the rest of the season, but it felt like a move that was kind of rushed. Um, yeah. I, I do feel like they sold a bit short on him. Yes, they did get Ersan Ilyasova, who did have a career season that year and was a good floor spacer next to Joel Embiid. Um, and they ultimately got a pick that bounced around, but eventually became pick 21 in this year's upcoming draft. But it was something where I felt like they pulled the trigger way too soon. They didn't need to make that move when they did. And it's unfortunate to see because Grant would be perfect uh, with the Sixers either starting or as a role player. He's exactly what they need. Totally agree. We get to now the, the February 2017 portion of your piece where there's the, the, the center lockjam with Okafor and Embiid and Nerlens and that that to me to this day still really doesn't make any sense like trading okafer fine but i never understood the tr- the nerlands trade one because it was really unclear what they got back for him and then b like sure i get that nerlands wanted to command big money in free agency but was he really going to get huge money? Like, I don't think so. Um, yeah, that, that was an interesting situation. And you could definitely tell with that season that Colangelo definitely wanted to move on from Okafor. Before that point, he tried to engineer a trade involving Okafor um, that ultimately fell through. And it was one of those things where I really feel like it was a desperation, just like we got to clear this up now. We got to so really we got to clear it up. So we just got to we just got to get rid of these guys and just get whatever we can for them. That's kind of yeah, what it definitely. felt like. Oh, definitely. And I truly believe if it was Sam Hankey in that situation, that he could have gotten more for Nerlens, even coming up on a big contract year. Um, the Sixers only got Justin Anderson, who was a solid prospect, but only stuck around for like a season and a half after that. Uh, Andrew Bogut, who they waived almost immediately, and a first-round pick that really wasn't a first-round pick and was two second-round yeah. picks. <laughs> <laughs> it's the it's the ongoing joke of the Colangelo era, just like w- w- <laughs> just un just unclarity and just funny business and just oh my god. Um, the yeah the the Nerlens trade didn't really make any sense because like even then we could kind of see that defensively the the team kind of falls off a cliff when Joel's not on the floor. And can you imagine like now, like what if we had Nerlens and didn't have to spend a whole bunch of money on Al Horford? Like instead we got Nerlens and we're just like, okay, we can weather the storm with Nerlens. He's not, as offensively gifted as Joel, but I mean, he can do some DeAndre Jordan things. He can do some rim running, like some rebounding, some blocks, like he can do some things. And I I feel like, again, you say, you said it before, it's just not looking at the long view here. Yeah. Yeah. That trade really wasn't. And that's obviously a common theme within and within the Colangelo era. I will say it isn't important to, to think about whether or not Nerlens was accepted was accepting, you know, a six-man type of role. True. Uh, ul- ultimately, he did want to cash out, and I'm not sure at the time 
the Sixers were okay shelling out a ton of money for a backup center like they were last summer. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, but, what what kind of like so this was this would have been 2000, this would have been the free agency of 2017. Like what's the most Nerlens would have got on the open market? He, there's no way he's getting like 108. He's not getting 108 over 4. He's not getting that from anybody. I remember um, at the time uh, when he was a Dallas Maverick and he was an unrestricted free agent that they offered him a deal either four or five years uh, worth $80 million, uh, which is about, give or take, around $17 million to $20 million a year. So is that a lot of money for a backup center? Definitely. Um, but still, that's you know <laughs> 8 to $10 million a year less than Horford's deal. And when, when you look at the whole logjam situation, it's imp- also important to remember Rashawn Holmes, who they sold for, for nothing, for basically. a bag of basketballs. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, and I feel like that's the part that really hurts more than Nerlens, because at that point, I don't know if, if Nerlens was wearing thin on his time in Philadelphia. He probably was. Uh, but Rashawn is someone that they definitely could have kept as as a backup center on a really affordable deal. We saw him put together a solid season in, in Phoenix, uh, playing behind DeAndre Aiden, and now we see him completely thriving with the Sacramento Kings, and that's something I think hurts more. Um, yes, they could have kept Nerlens. Um, it might have been more costly. I, I don't know if he was stuck around, but when you look at Rashawn Holmes, Rashawn I definitely would have think... been way more cost effective, and he would have mm-hmm. been exactly what this team needs. Mm-hmm. Given yeah, he's obviously development. Yeah, he's obviously not not the best defender or the defender that Nerlens or Joel is, but he's definitely a guy that could be a spark off the bench. I think he could hold his own in twenty to twenty five minutes of play against a team's second unit. Absolutely. And in this series, for example, I, I would feel a hell of a lot better with like, I mean, I wouldn't feel 100% great about it, but I would feel better about Rashawn guarding somebody like Gordon Hayward or Jason Tatum as opposed to friggin' Al Horford. Yeah, Rashawn's obviously a lot younger than Al. He's definitely a lot more springy than Al's ever been. Way more uh, nimble, definitely- way more spry. <laughs> Definitely. I definitely think that that you could switch on to some of those quicker wings or mobile centers. And I definitely think you could hold his own. Let's get to the biggest whiff possibly in the entire, I'm not going to call it the process error because this is post process. This is contending or trying to contend. So I want to make that distinction right now. The Markel Fultz draft can't say that it's anything else other than a whiff. I do not think at all that Boston would have taken Fultz number at number one. And I'm pretty sure the Lakers were all about Lonzo at two. So you trade up the Kings unprotected pick outside of number one. Like that, that was the Luka Doncic provision and you get nothing for, for Fultz. You get let all you get from Markel Fultz is just a feel good story because you just, you're just hoping that this kid gets it right. That Jason, Jason Tatum going three to Boston when Tatum would be insane here next to Simmons and Embiid, that one stings. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree um i do think that the lakers were interested in markel i remember Woj at the time reported something along the lines that the lakers offered julius randall and the number two pick for one or something like that um obviously a decent deal but not what they basically got from the sixers um yeah the the sixers literally threw everything at boston they said oh you want this pick you can have this pick you can have that pick you have these future assets just take them all we want number one like that what what are you doing, Brian? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Looking back on it now, it, it was a huge price to pay just moving up two spots, even if it is from three to one. And the thing that hurt so bad about that draft is it was incredibly deep. Uh, you just look down the line. You got Jason Tatum, obviously. De'Aaron Fox, who is very solid, probably a future all-star. Jonathan Isaac, who's shown flashes. Lowry Markkinen. Um, 
Luke Kennard solid. And obviously in the late lottery, this is probably becoming less realistic at this point. You have Donovan Mitchell and right. Bam out of Bayou. You just got a ton of talent in that draft. And you essentially gave up um, not one, but two picks. Because a lot of people will focus on they either could have gotten the Lakers pick or the Kings pick. They eventually got the Kings pick, as we all know. But keep in mind, they also gave up number three. And they took a guy that's probably going to torch the Sixers for the next 10, 10 to years. 12 years. Yeah. Great. Thanks for that, Brian. Appreciate that one. <laughs> yeah. and oh, But I definitely – I definitely feel like you have a point, though, where I would have liked to see the Sixers hold out in that situation and be like, okay, Danny Ainge, you go ahead and take Jason Tatum number one. Because I'm not sure if he he does it. Reports came out that that was his plan, but I really don't know. Because at the time, a lot of people felt like Markel Fultz was a small tier above the rest in that draft. Now, I was kind of lukewarm on Fultz because – my re- my rationale was he played one year at Washington at a Pac-12 school. And sure, maybe he just went there to like show off and get his numbers up. But I was only kind of lukewarm on faults. I was 100% all in on De'Aaron Fox in that draft. 1,000%. I knew that he was he was coached well coming out of Kentucky he was possibly the second coming of Russell Westbrook, but could develop into a better shooter. And you're kind of seeing that now. Does yeah. The, yeah. De'Aaron. The, the, the dynamic of this team definitely changes if it's Fultz and Simmons in the backcourt. Like I'm just thinking about that defensively and in transition. Oh my God, the transition. Yeah, that, that's the big appeal with De'Aaron Fox is you got Ben Simmons, who is an incredibly fast player, obviously plays downhill. And, you know, pairing him with someone like De'Aaron Fox, who's arguably one of the quickest players in the NBA, that would be a ton of fun. Obviously, there is some uh, concerns with the floor spacing if you were to have Joel, Ben, and De'Aaron on the floor at the same time. But, you know, definitely De'Aaron Fox has developed into a much better player than, you know, Markel Fultz and also Lonzo Ball, who is another guard that I'm sure they they took a quick look at. Obviously, his dad didn't want him to be a sixer. But regardless, I'm sure that they they glanced over at him. Um, I really wish that they would have looked more into trading down just because of how deep this draft was. And, you know, we aren't sitting here talking about it now. Like, man, that was a deep draft. Like, everybody knew at the time that it was a really good draft. So if they could have picked up uh, at the time, uh, I believe Sacramento owned picks five and 10, five and 10, uh, some, something like that, that, that would have been really interesting. I was a big fan of the Kentucky backcourt that season, or even if they got um, like, like pick eight or something and a future draft pick, like that really would have helped the team going forward because you would have a future draft pick in which you could obviously use to draft talent or you can use that as future ammo for getting what they needed at the time and a third co-star next to both Simmons and Embiid. Looking back on that draft, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make two real quick points. Um, you talk about trading down. I was totally okay with trading down and maybe scooping up Malik Monk in the, the, like the five through 10 or whatever pick I could get in that range. That would have been cool with me. Because, like I said, I wasn't really high on Fultz. I was really high on De'Aaron Fox. But if Fox went before I could pick, then hell, I'll I'll take a swing on Malik Monk. You are you are talking to the owner of Malik Monk Island. I'm still on that island. Nice. I still think. <laughs> you have all the Malik Monk stock. Awesome. Yes, I That's love Malik fantastic. Monk. <laughs> yes, I definitely feel like he can be a really good six man spark off the bench in the right situation. I was a big fan of him going into this draft. I still am. He's um, literally Lou Williams 2.0 <laughs> in the right situation. Lou Williams with athleticism, right? Exactly. <laughs> um, and so you you kind of brought this up a little bit. What happened between the hinky front office and the Colangelo front office where it, it felt like development was like really stagnant. They picked up Robert Covington out of nowhere 
and they develop this kid. But then you get Markel Fultz, a consensus number one overall pick, and you can't do anything with him. And yes, you have to comment about his shoulder injury, the 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 whatever happened in his brain. Like, yeah, that's a that's something to acknowledge. But did something maybe happen with the developmental side of this front office? I definitely think that the developmental side uh, took a hit, as we saw for seasons to come. Even after this, if you look outside Markel Fultz, we've seen arguments where both Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, people feel that they should be a step above where they currently are. Um, and you just see it down the line uh, when you talk about the, the Sixers players, apart from the ones that they brought in, but the ones that they drafted. Um, TLC never became anything like we mentioned before. And it, it really just took a toll on this team. And it really put a hole in what Sam Hankey and Brett Brown when they first came in, were really trying to accomplish and, and developing, you know, both these players that were drafted and undrafted. And the, the Sixers kind of shied away from that, which really disappointed me because they were trying to model the Spurs system. Well, if we look at the past few years, it's been anything but that. Um, the, the Spurs learned how to work well in margins. You always see the Spurs getting these undrafted guys, and you're like, who are they? And then they turn into <laughs> these, like, really quality players, really quality role players and starters. Um, and apart from TJ McConnell, TJ McConnell was probably that last dude that, that came out of nowhere and was like, oh, this guy can actually play off the bench. He can actually uh, contribute winning minutes. And it's definitely disappointing to see the Sixers uh, shy away from that. And I hope that I – know, I know we'll get into this later, but I hope that whatever they do with the front office in the coming days or weeks – uh, they can get back to that side of development and get closer to what this team was supposed to be built on. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com/wonder. Let, let's just let's just put these two together. The the Jalil Okafor trade, which was kind kind of hurtful to me because they they had to give up Nick Stauskas. I'm a Nick. I am a Nick Stauskas stan. I'm sorry. I admit it to this day. Whatever. Um, and then and then Burnergate, which was. People say that getting people are going to say that getting swept by Boston is like the lowest of the low point, but I feel like this was kind of the lowest point for for the the Sixers during the during this contention portion of whatever the heck era we're in right now. That 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 was just national media and LeBron making jokes and just like it was just all kinds of bad. I just you wake up every day just thinking, oh, my God, how can it get any worse? Yeah, first first I got to talk about the Julio Okafor deal briefly just because of how bad that was. Not <laughs> only did – like, it was it was horrible looking back on it. It was horrible in the moment. It's even worse looking back on it now because the Sixers gave up a third overall draft selection. Yes, he doesn't fit the modern NBA, but that's someone who is a third overall draft pick at the end of the day. Um, they gave up him. They gave up Nick Stauskas, who was a lottery pick. And at that point, I, I get the Sixers were kind of giving up on him, and that's okay. But, but I still feel like you could, bare minimum, get a second-round pick or something along the lines of that. You could get some form something of assets. Back. Yeah, totally. And not only that, but they pay a second-round pick to get off both those contracts, in which they could probably get assets for individually. 
And it was the highest second round pick possible. It ended up being pick number 31, which turned into uh, Nick Claxton, who's been uh, the third stringer on the Brooklyn Nets, a solid prospect. And they got Trevor Booker, who was a solid role player at the time, but was just a clunky fit with the team. He was good slashing to the rim. And it was such an awkward fit that they waved him halfway through the season. <laughs> it's like, so you trade Okafor and Stauskas and a second round pick, and you get nothing. Misstep after misstep with this general, with this, with Colangelo. It was a laughable trade in the moment. And even now looking back on it, it's, it's just sad. It's one of those trades like what we saw with the Suns and the Pacers with TJ Warren, oh, where God. they gave TJ Warren to the Pacers and included a second round pick for cash. And it's just like one of those moves. And it's just like, what are you guys doing? And I feel like that was the moment for me when I realized like, okay, Colangelo, like, it, it put it in stone for me where I was like, okay, this Colangelo guy really isn't good. I, I talked to Dan Ollinger about this maybe two weeks ago, and I, I was saying, wait, all Indiana had to do was give up a second rounder and some cash for TJ Warren? Yo, hey, fire up the time machine. We're going back in time. Like, listen, Elton, you, you, need, you, need, a, you need a Benjamin for, for TJ Warren? I got, a, I got a Benjamin on TJ Warren right now. Here you go. Get that man here. Now Elton is hired. And this is September. And this was after free agency where LeBron was out there. Paul George was out there, which, holy crap, how did they miss on that? I'll tell you how they missed. They didn't have a legit general manager that free agency. If they actually had a general manager like a David Griffin or something that you pointed out, I'm pretty sure Paul George is here. Yeah, you can definitely make that argument. Uh, LeBron was obviously super close with David Griffin. He won a championship with him. Griffin put championship players around him. Um, and he was a, a really good guy for the Sixers to go out and get. And the, the flaw wasn't necessarily them taking their time with that situation. I, I do think it's fair to say that. But the really big flaw is they were like, hey, we want a high-quality GM but also you can't bring in your own guys. You have to work with the front office Colangelo brought in. And that, and um, it, that I'm sorry, that was just frustrating. It, it's super head scratching looking back on it now because that, that front office had two and a half or, or three years where they've accumulated nothing in terms of long-term assets. They've, they've emptied the treasure chest in which Hinky brought in the only real thing of long-term value that they had at that point was Firkin Korkmaz, who people at the time didn't even realize was good. And if, if you, if you are a GM for two or three years and all you got in those two or three years of long-term value is a role player off the bench, that's a shooter. You're not doing a good job. No. So it, it wasn't even like this was a, a well respected front office. They, they were horrible. And the Sixers said, you know what, we're going to ride out with them. And, you know, to this day, I, I find it incredibly dumbfounding on why that happened. I still don't understand why that is. Um, and, and we see it now, what happened, because the Sixers were, were lazy or, or just not, not smart enough to get rid of them. You could argue either side. And, and that's part of the reason why the Sixers are where they are, why why they're stuck with these huge contracts with Tobias Harris and Al Horford and why they're stuck, quite frankly. Let me rewind back a little bit to the, maybe they dragged their feet with the, with the GM idea. Maybe, maybe not. That wasn't a bad idea. Like, let me just paint a picture. You're an NBA player. You're free agency. You're one of the top 15 guys in the league, right? Wouldn't it be more beneficial that you know exactly what kind of situation you're walking into? Like, sure, maybe the Sixers have David Griffin and like all the like the the rest of the Colangelo Hydra, because I mean they they definitely cut off the head, but they left the other two. Um, but if you're a top fifteen free agent and you know the Sixers have david griffin in place depending on how much power he's gonna have like you've seen david griffin build championships with with lebron like that's that's at least marginally attractive 
yeah the the whole pursuit of the process and what the Sixers were trying to accomplish is you know winning an NBA championship and David Griffin was a very attractive GM candidate for them that they ultimately missed out on and not only did they miss out on him David Griffin chose a situation uh, with the New Orleans Pelicans that was developing with their superstar wanting out over what the Sixers had in a ton of cap space. Um, at that point, a decent amount of assets and two young and up-and-coming up stars with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. So I strongly believe uh, that the Sixers front office could have acquired him and got him to, to sign with them if they allowed him to bring in his own front office. Because I, I just don't believe that David Griffin would pass up an opportunity with a loaded roster, tons of flexibility um, over the New Orleans Pelicans who were strapped with not great contracts and Anthony Davis wanting out. Following season, we get two trades in the span of, what, four months? So you get Jimmy Butler in November, which all in on. It hurt a lot to have to give up Robert Covington and Dario Saric. Shout out to the homie. But I was okay with it because what the hell? We're getting Jimmy Butler back. But then, but then it, started, it started to creep up in my head. I was just like, wait a second. We know this dude's track record. Jimmy Butler is like the Jim Harbaugh of the NBA. Like he's good for that first season. Everything's nice and peaceful, but like, as you keep going down the line, like the, the fire is going to keep brewing and brewing. And I feel like it was all accelerated in the span of like six months and they get Tobias Harris, who was really good with the Clippers. He's kind of meh now. That was the first of several missteps by Elton Brand in just a short period of time as general manager. Yeah, that, that was a period where at the time I was a bit confused on why all of a sudden the Sixers were like, the time is now, like we yeah. want to win a title now. And it's just like at, at that point, both Ben and Joel are still a few years out of their prime. Um, now Joel is just approaching his, but I, I get that, you know, injuries can happen. They can happen to any player. And there's obviously concern with Joel Embiid, but it, it was a situation where you had this core and yes, they came up short in the playoffs, but that was their first real season being together being competitive. That was the first year Ben was actually playing in healthy. Um, you know, the Jimmy Butler trade, I, I do think the Sixers got a lot of value for on paper. Um, I wasn't a big fan of them paying Dario Saric. I, I don't, I just feel like the Eastern conference would pick him apart on defense as True. the Celtics did. Um, Robert Covington was obviously on a very team-friendly deal. That was one of the few things Colangelo did well is the Robert Covington extension. Um, it, it was a very affordable contract for basically the, per the perfect modern NBA role player. Um, and then they gave up two second-rounders or second-rounder and Jer Jared Bayless, which really isn't much when you're talking about Jimmy Butler. But like what you said, the Sixers were going into that trade knowing the risk that this might not work out. This might make things implode. Um, and they took that risk. And ultimately, they fell flat on their face um, in that sense. And then, obviously, you have the Tobias Harris deal where they gave up a promising young rookie in Landry Shamit, who I think is probably going to be a really good role player in the league for a long time. And that's not just towards him. I, I genuinely believe he's going to be a really good backup point guard or a really good shooter off the bench. Um, he's a really solid player. And then they gave up a first rounder in this draft of their own, which turned out to be pick 19. And they gave up the Miami Heat pick, which was unprotected, still is. Oh. Uh, back then, there's a lot more question marks with it. Uh, obviously, the Heat are a really solid team. So it'll probably be a mid to late first round pick. But right. at the time, that pick held a lot of value. And they definitely gave up more, in my opinion, for Tobias Harris than they did for Jimmy Butler. Do you think the Sixers are trying too hard now to talk themselves into Tobias Harris as that third guy? Um, I'm kind of biased because I do feel like Tobias is a really good third option for this team. Obviously, he didn't really play well against the Celtics, apart from the last game uh, where he did get hurt. He came back in. Shout out to him for that. That, that was really cool. 
Um, also, also shout out to the not not so much a shout out, but like a, a, a middle finger to the Sixers training staff. Like, what, did you not see how he fell on his head? Why is he still? Oh, yeah. Why is he back out? Okay, never mind. You know what? That that training staff. That's a whole nother podcast, and I don't really <laughs> get into that right now. Maybe they tr- they're trying to talk themselves into Tobias a little too much, and maybe he's under a lot of pressure. I mean, I don't want to say maybe. He's definitely under a lot of pressure with that $180 million contract. Yeah, and the thing about Tobias Harris is, is he overpaid? Definitely. He's definitely 100% overpaid. He probably should be making 8 to $10 less million a year than he is making. Um, but I do think he is a really good player. Um, he was a really important member for this team, not just on the court, on the court, but off the floor. He was really someone that really brought the guys together. He is a really good guy in terms of personality, but obviously there should be question marks after the Celtics series in regards to Tobias Harris. Um, a part where I feel like not a lot of people touch on when it comes to Tobias Harris is this season, I, I really felt like he played out of position. Yeah. I really truly believe he he's much better as a power forward I think he can take advantage um, and score just easier on power forwards defend power forwards better I know it's a positionless NBA but I really do feel like he's much better suited at that possession and I feel like you would have seen um, his three-point percentage creep up a little bit if that was the case um, and I definitely think he would have been a, a, a bit more solid speaking of that free agency the the Al Horford contract when it happened, it was days and weeks and months of talking yourself into it and making it make sense. And I can say with full confidence, as well as like everybody on staff, that the Al Horford contract was, it was a, it was a mistake. It was a mistake, Elton. I'm sorry. There's really no other way to put it. Like, Definitely. like, I, I don't know what you would have spent that money on, but Horford was not really the business there. Yeah, the, the Horford contract in the moment, um, typically when I when I see signings or trades, I give it a few days to sit. Uh, when I first saw it, I was like, I really don't like this uh, just because of how old he is and how long the contract is and how much money it is. He's the highest paid center in the NBA right now, which is crazy to think oh about. Oh, God. Is he really? He really is. Oh, my God. Wide margin. Al Horford gets paid more than the, than the best center in the NBA, Nikola Jokic. That's right. I said it, okay? I say it every time I talk about Nikola Jokic. This should not surprise anybody. Um, but that, that's, that's disgusting. That's... I, I, I'm going to throw up now. <laughs> Thanks, Harrison. Um, oh. It really is. And, and when you look at that that free agency period, they could have gotten someone like Malcolm Brogdon, who would have been a perfect fit with this team. And I know people are, are like, yeah, but Milwaukee wouldn't trade into their rival Sixers. But, you know, if Malcolm Brogdon signs an offer sheet, the Celtics – or not the Celtics, the Milwaukee Bucks are going to sign – or they're going to engineer a sign-in trade to get some form of assets back from the Sixers. Exactly. And I truly, I truly believe that they could have gotten him. And not only that, but he signed for give or take $8 million less a season than Al Horford, which means that if the Sixers signed Malcolm Brogdon to the contract that the Pacers offered him, they could have had 8 or $9 million to play around on another role player on a backup center which they definitely could have gotten they desperately a good one. need and definitely like they got Kylo Quinn for like $3 million or something. Yeah. When it comes to the center position in the NBA, finding a backup center typically isn't this hard. It's not <laughs> hard. It's really not just like, just, just do a search on basketball reference and then filter it by dudes over six ten. Yeah, if if you just look around the league, like if you look at the Boston Celtics, who the Sixers just played, Daniel Tice was an undrafted guy who they signed overseas. And now he's starting for the Celtics, and he's a, a very solid and a role player. And you can also look at the Washington Wizards, another uh, team in the Sixers division, where they signed Thomas, Thomas Bryant off of waivers. Yeah. So the Sixers had a problem that they needed to address. And they did address that problem in signing Al Horford. 
but they threw all of their their money that they could play with at one problem and it just wasn't the answer in that situation and signing Al Horford was damaging but also a signing at that point in time that doesn't get talked about nearly enough was signing Mike Scott who was signed within the first hour of free agency using the mid-level exception yeah that that kind of hurt as well because I feel like with that MLE I feel like you can get even if it's not marginally better, but like you can get some bodies that could serve you a little bit better than Mike Scott. Oh, definitely. If you look around the league, um, a lot of players, a lot of good players signed for the MLE. The Indiana Pacers signed Justin Holiday, a solid wing shooter and a decent defender. Um, the Dallas Mavericks, who had a mid-level exception that was worth more than the Sixers, I will say that signed Seth Curry, who is a perfect combo guard, really great shooter. Oh, that hurts. Uh, would have been perfect on the Sixers. So that, it really just hurts. That, that, hurts especially, that, that hurts my heart to hear that, Harrison. Oh, it really does. And to make matters worse, Mike Scott just fell off a cliff this year. And by the playoff time, he was pretty much out of the rotation. And this was the guy making the most money outside of your five starters, not being playable. And that's a huge misstep and miscalculation. How, do you, how did you grade the Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson trade? Uh, looking back on it, I, I like it a lot more than I originally did. I felt like Alec Burks was kind of putting up false numbers on a bad Warriors team. <laughs> but... <laughs> That's kind of a contradictual of um, just how I felt about the process and players producing and, and those losing seasons. But, um, you know, Alec Burks went on to be a really solid producer for the Sixers. At times, he really carried the offense, especially with Ben out. And he brought a foreign skill to the Sixers, which was shooting off the dribble. <laughs> so I – I don't think Alec Burks will be a sixer next season. I do feel like he's going to cash out as he should. He should secure that bag. Yeah. Get, um, get your money fam. <laughs> and they also got Glenn Robinson, who I was a big fan of. Uh, it was cool to see a, a process OG kind of come back solid three and D guy. He really developed his three pointer. And I was disappointed that we didn't get to see more of him, uh, not just in the playoffs, but in the season. Cause I feel like, He's someone that really could be a mid-level exception candidate for the Sixers. I really feel like uh, his off-ball movement, slashing to the rim, really brought a new dynamic to the team. He's above-average defender, has a really good three-pointer now. Um, it, it was really unfortunate that he got hurt. I really wanted to see what he could do in that Celtics series. But, you know, the Sixers gave up three second-round draft picks that are going to be mid to late second round, so – Fortunately, they didn't give up their good second-round picks. Oh, thank um, God. <laughs> it, it was kind of a move where the Sixers were trying to trying to give a boost into their season, which was, you know, on and off for the majority of it. Um, and let's be honest, if, if the Sixers would have kept those picks, they probably would have sold them. So yeah. rather, it's, not, rather than... it's not, not probably, Harrison. It's not probably at all. <laughs> like, that is more of a definitely – <laughs> yeah so i mean if, if you tell me that the team's either going to sell the second round draft picks or use them in a trade i definitely would prefer them using it in a trade so i think it was an okay trade uh hopefully they can bring glenn robinson back like i said i think Alec Burks is going to ultimately end up walking away okay so we went through the timeline and now i'm going to say i'm going to repeat a sentence that's in the last paragraph of your column the Sixers now find themselves in a hole with no real way of climbing out of it. We're going to do all that work for you, okay? Josh Harris, just subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Network. Harrison and I, we're going to talk this out. We're going to give you some options right now, okay? So forward this audio to Josh Harris. Make sure he gets it, guys, okay? Um, what can we do now, right? The Sixers have let Brett Brown go. They're talking about restructuring, whatever the heck that means. And to me, I don't know if you agree with this, but if restructuring means anything less than Josh Harris walking into the executive offices and telling everyone to get the F out, firing Brett Brown means nothing. Oh, definitely. You know, you've seen the hashtags, hashtag everybody got to go. Um, to to, ex to expect this team to just change overnight with a new head coach would just be, frankly, idiotic. 
uh, changes need to be made within. Um, it would be it would be the word that is described with many of the Colangelo trades: short-sighted. <laughs> Definitely, and you know, I, I really do feel like the Sixers. I, I think that they will end up keeping Elton in some type of role, maybe not as a GM, but I do feel like they'll keep him around just because he is well respected, um, not just in the city of Philadelphia, but or around the league. Uh, but I do feel like they'll, they'll hire an advisor above him or maybe they'll relocate him to another position and hire a new GM. Uh, but I do feel like Elton will stay and the rest of the front office is either going to get shuffled around or hopefully fired. As far as head coaches, Ty Lue has, has expressed interest. I want no part of Ty Lue. I'm sorry. I do not. Um, I, I don't know. The same page with you. I don't know how good Ty Lue is because the only experience I have with Ty Lue is when he had LeBron James and Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love. I don't know how good of a coach of a game planner he is. So I don't want to take that risk. He, he's someone that I, I really feel like is the opposite of Brett Brown, which might be why the Sixers are interested in him in terms of he's someone that really isn't afraid to experiment or make adjustments in games, but sometimes he'll stick with those adjustments for too long and it can cost him some games. So is he a really an upgrade over Brett Brown? Like you said, the sample size on him is so small. He's really only coached a, a really good team apart from, you know, the, the Cavs after LeBron, post-LeBron. Uh, so, yeah, he's definitely not at the top of my list in terms of someone who I would want to see as the Sixers' new uh, head coach. So maybe not this name specifically, but some somebody along those, like, X and O mindsets, right? The Sixers want to run they, – they should run way more pick and roll than they already do, Right. So I have definitely I have two names that might be good ideas, might be bad ideas, but I'm just going to throw them out there and see if like they stick to the wall. Short of making the NBA finals, I think Mike D'Antoni is out in Houston. Um, yeah, you, you've seen contract negotiations um, kind of fall apart between him and Daryl Morey. So I definitely think that that's something that is definitely – a possibility I could easily see that happening um in terms of a, of his fit with the Sixers he was going to be the guy that Colangelo, he was going to be he was who Colangelo yes, wanted exactly um and you know I I don't know how much I I like his fit because offensively he's obviously one of the best coaches in the NBA but defensively he's he's just the type of guy to be like we need to be at least okay defensively and with the Sixers' current roster, and I know a lot of it can change, but they're going to have Embiid and Simmons, who are both terrific defenders. I, I don't know if I love that fit. Um, you know, obviously both of those guys aren't exactly shooting a bunch of threes or spacing the floor. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if I would love that fit. I, I feel like there's better coaching candidates out there. Um, but it's definitely not the worst. I, I actually feel like I would prefer him – uh, over Ty Lue as of now. Here, here's another. Here's another name. You, you say the Sixers don't have a lot of three-point shooters, but they need an injection of offensive strategy. Okay, could I possibly interest you in maybe Alvin Gentry? You know, Alvin Gentry is a really good good guy, um, but I, I feel like he's too close to Brett Brown in terms of mm. he's not the biggest X's and O guys out guy out of the market uh, right now. Um, in my mind, he's just too similar to Brett. I feel like he can be almost too nice, uh, which I feel like was a problem that really plagued this team sometimes where Brett, you know, you've seen it in reports, wasn't holding players accountable. He was kind of being too friendly because he is a, just a really great guy. He's a good dude. Oh, hundred percent. Um, so, so I really feel like he would not be a good candidate. And, you know, you saw the Pelicans return um, after the NBA hiatus, and those guys just look disinterested. Mm. And 
that that's something I really don't want to have into the Sixers because there was times this year where, let's face it, the Sixers just looked disinterested. Yeah. So, no, yeah, I'm I'm definitely out on Alvin. <laughs> maybe you can maybe talk me into Mike D'Antoni. Uh, here, but here, I really, here's just the names that I don't want, right? Okay. I, I want no part of Jeff Van Gundy. I want no part of Mark Jackson. Neither of those guys. You, you could possibly, okay. maybe, maybe you could talk me into Stan Van Gundy after I've had like a half a bottle of, uh, after I've had a half of a bottle of alcohol. You could probably talk me into Stan Van Gundy. <laughs> the Knicks did us a major favor in hiring Thibodeau because I want no parts of that dude either. Agreed. I, listen, if the Sixers want to play bully ball with Joel Embiid and Simmons and Harris and Horford, they want to play bully ball, cool, no problem. Let's hire David F. and Fisdale. You know what? If you're going to lean into it, you might as well just go the full nine at this point. Bring, bring back the grit and grind <laughs> Grizzlies, okay? That's fine. If you're like, Don't just lean into it. Like, Jump into it all the way if you're going to do it. Jesus. <laughs> that's true and and i want them to find someone that that has a good balance of you know being offensively gifted in terms of coaching and also defensively gifted uh but i want someone that will both not be afraid to experiment with things i really wish that they use ben simmons as a five more often because in the limited time in which we've seen him play at the five it's looked pretty good look pretty good yeah and you know Brett Brown is a much more traditional coach. He comes from a Spurs system, and I understand that. But I also want a coach that will, you know, hold players accountable, push them to to be better and do better, and not be, you know, be more of a coach than a friend than maybe Brett Brown was. I also want to point out to everybody on Sixers Twitter that's even floated this idea, I'm telling you right now, Jay Wright is not happening, okay? Just accept it now. Like, Jay Wright won two titles with Villanova in four, three years, four years. Jay Wright owns the main line, okay? He has no reason to jump to the NBA right now. It's like Nick Saban going to the NFL right now. He has, there's no need for him to do that. As far as roster construction, trading Horford might be a little daunting, especially given his performance this year. Harris, the same problem. Would you move one of Embiid or Simmons? I talked about this last week, how, like, it was, I was tired of getting hit up with, like, oh, these guys need to be split up. But would you move one of those guys to maximize their value and get somebody that's, like, a better fit? Like, if the Sixers traded Embiid, for example, like, again, not advocating for this. I'm just, I'm just making a suggestion. Having Horford kind of lessens the blow a little bit and then you can use Embiid as a trade chip to get things that fit better around a Simmons Horford Harris kind of thing does that make any sense yeah yeah I do get what you're saying but my, my answer is no I really feel like you have to do everything you can to build a roster around Embiid and Simmons and, and try and excel your chances at winning before you split these guys up. Just because if you trade one of those guys, you're probably getting a player that's worse than one of them. Um, 100%. And feel like that. And, and both of these guys are on contracts for at least the three next years. I, b- I believe that's when Joel's is up. So you don't need to rush anything like that. Like we've seen the Sixers make root, make moves out of haste in the past and it's come back to bite them. Uh, this is something where they need to take their time. Take a um, step back. Definitely. And you, you got to really, I really feel like they should move Horford before they move Harris. I feel like Harris can provide something on the court. Yes, he is really overpaid. I get that. But Horford is only going to get worse from here on out. Tobias is just in his prime right now. He's still going to be good. You can build his value. Um, what, what I would do is throw Horford and as many draft picks as it takes, um, preferably keep Shake or Matisse out of the trade, uh, oh, to God, land yes. someone like a Chris Paul. Um, I, I think that's yeah. the only real move on the table, um, in that extent. Um, I would, I would only trade and beat Simmons 
if you're getting someone really good in return and you're guaranteed that you can either retain them or assign them. And I'm talking about really good players. So I'm talking like Bradley Beal or Mm -hmm. maybe Damian Lillard. But, you know, even with both of those situations, I feel like the Sixers would get outbidded in a Bradley Beal scenario. And I I don't see Damian Lillard leaving the Portland Trailblazers anytime soon. So my my first option is definitely retain Ben and Joel. Do everything you can to make that core work. And if the time comes where you do need to move on from them or one of them requests a trade, so be it. But for now, you got to try everything in your power to make it work. All right. So we, we hashed all this out. I, th- I think it was a good therapy session for all of us. And uh, it's going to be a good therapy session for the, the listeners that are going to wake up tomorrow that haven't checked Twitter in 12 hours, 24 hours to see that Brett Brown has been fired. But I wanted to thank you for coming on the Out of Sight podcast. The piece was fantastic. I will link it in the description so that everybody can read how the hell we got here. And um, yeah, Harrison, tell the people how they can find you on social media. I appreciate the kind words. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, you can find all my work, obviously, at Liberty Ballers. Uh, you can find my Twitter at Harrison underscore Grimm. That's Grimm with two M's, just like the fairy tales. Nice. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a, speaking of which, it's, it's kind of a grim outlook going into this next offseason. So hopefully there will be more hope going into the 2020-2021 season. And who knows? Maybe we'll get back to a point where, you know, we can actually go to an arena. Maybe there will be a, a, a vaccine at some point in the next, like, six to eight months. That would be awesome. Um, but, again, Harrison, thank you for coming on. Appreciate the time, and I look forward to anything and everything that you're writing. Appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me on. All righty.